you ever been in that situation where you're thinking something, but it's not what's coming out your mouth? Right? Or have you ever been in that situation where you thought something and it's what came out and you thought, oh no. <laughs> I see, that's an even worse situation to be in. We're going to be talking today about the power of your words. Um, <clears throat> before I start, Aaron, can you come here a minute? I'm going to tell you a secret, Aaron, okay? No one else is to hear this, okay? I want you to mute. Aaron's got a secret now, and what he's going to do is he's going to do a Chinese whisper. Aaron's going to mention it to Marson, and Marson's going to mention it right all the way around, all to the back, and you in the back corner there, you're going to mention it to them. And at some point in the sermon, I'm going to stop you and see what you're saying to each other. But don't let it distract you. If you let it distract you, I'll come down and and get your attention again, okay? So stay with me. Uh, Marson, don't make it obvious, man. (laughs) So start start again. Okay. Okay, the average person has about 30 conversations a day. You'll spend a fifth of your life talking. In one year, your conversations will fill 66 800-page books. Wow. The average man in a day speaks 10,000 words, whereas the average woman in a day (laughs) speaks 25,000 words. I don't know why the guys are clapping. Can any husbands verify this? Yeah. Okay, now there's a lot we could say about that there. I I just want to mention one thing. Guys, once we've done our 10,000, that's kind of five o'clock in the day, we come home, right? We arrive back. Now you have to realize that she's only done 10,000 as well. And she has another 15,000 she's looking forward to sharing with you. Okay? But you're done. I mean, you're out. Your quota is reached. Okay? Just to prepare you if you're single, that this is what awesome life ahead can be like for you too. Like the guy who asked, do you resent that your wife has the last word all the time? He replied, no, I'm just glad when she finally gets to it. <laughs> or it's like the guy whose wife had his, her, her jaw broken and uh, when they took her in for the x-ray, it turned out to be a motion picture. It was incredible. Have you ever, you ever thought something, right? You, you ever thought something and uh, you say it and it was completely the wrong timing, right? And you feel utterly embarrassed. There's one story of a guy who was, uh, he worked in a grocery store and a lady walked into the grocery store and she says, can I have half a head of lettuce, please? And the guy went, okay, let me just check. And he went off to check with the supervisor. He didn't realize she was following him to talk to the supervisor. Anyway, he got to the supervisor and he says, you're not going to believe this. There's an old bag out there who wants to buy half a head of lettuce. He turned around and saw the lady and says, and this fine young lady would like to buy the other half. (laughs) James talks, we're in the book of James, and James talks a huge amount about the power of your tongue. In every chapter, in the five chapters in James, he talks about the power of your tongue. He says, talks more about the the power of your tongue than any other writers in the entire New Testament do. We're in James chapter 3 today, verses 1 to 12. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If If anyone is never at fault, In what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take a ship as an example. Although they are so large and driven by such strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants it to go. Likewise, the tongue is a very small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is a fire, 
a world of evil among the parts of your body. It corrupts the whole person and sets the whole course of his life on fire. And it itself is set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds and reptiles uh, of, of the sea can be tamed. And creatures of the sea can be tamed and are being tamed by man. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. And with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or can a grapevine bear fricks? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. God, we pray today as we turn to your Bible, the Scripture. God, we believe that the Scripture is utterly inspired by you. Every word, divinely inspired. We ask you, God, as we take a bit of time this morning to study these particular words. We pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you would move among us and help us to apply these truths to our life so we can go out of here different, changed, transformed, and using our tongue for good, not for bad. Help us now to hear and help, help me to speak in Jesus' name. Okay, the first thing James talks about is the influence of our tongue. In verse 1, he says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, let me make it clear, God wants good teachers. In Ephesians 4, it says he's given some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So people being teachers is God's idea. So James isn't saying we shouldn't have teachers. He's saying we shouldn't presume to be teachers. Now, the problem is when people presume to be teachers, they figure it was a kind of good career path, or they figure they like the sound of their own voice. Or they've got some egotistical insecurity issues going on that they want to have an audience. That people presume to be teachers. Those kind of teachers are dangerous. Also, the kind of teachers who have got a natural gift of communication, but what they've got to say is tosh. What they've got to say is rubbish. So people listen to them because they're good communicators, but what they're actually saying doesn't do anyone any good. In fact, if it's heretical, it could take people off in a dangerous place. So James is saying that we shouldn't presume to be teachers. You become a teacher because God calls you to be a teacher. Not because you've got a degree, not because you've got natural ability. The only qualification you need is a call of God. But you should never presume that. Um, Mark Twain, the, the American author, was incredibly outspoken against what he saw in Christianity. He spoke against the hypocrisy and the insincerity he saw among Christians. And he based this on him growing up in an era, part of America where a lot of people were incredibly pious on Sunday, but they lived like the devil on Monday. So he saw pastors, church leaders, who were teaching one thing on a Sunday, but then through the week he saw how they mistreated their slaves, and they even used the Bible to justify slavery. He saw other people who would be speaking on Sunday, and then they'd be liars and deceitful through the week. So as a result... He was very anti what he saw in Christianity. From his notebook, he said this, if Christ were here, uh, so if, if, if Christ were here, there is one thing he would not be, and that's a Christian. It's quite a radical statement, but you can understand why he said that. Jesus himself said in, Matthew, in Luke 12, 48, for everyone to who has been given much, much will be required. To him who has been entrusted much, all the more will be asked. John Knox, the famous reformer, apparently the first time he ever preached, he got on that pulpit and he broke down weeping. They literally had to carry him out of the pulpit and he was so incredibly intensely moved by that moment because he was highly aware of the responsibility that came with someone who was representing God to people. And he figured, I can't do this. And what a great preacher he went on to be. Preaching teaching in the church is a highly important responsibility. But whoever you are, whether you're teaching in a church setting, as many of you are, or whether it be a home group setting, as you know, dozens of you in this church lead home groups, or it might be you're a school teacher, or you might be a dad or a mum. How many kids have been put off Christianity because of a numpty mum or dad 
who claim to be Christian, but their life, and they talk Christian stuff, but their life completely contradicted what they said. If you have any responsibility, any sense of influence, God will hold you accountable in the way you speak. I speak every Sunday. I, 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 I see that as a sobering task. I don't always get it right. A good friend in the church emailed me uh, a few weeks ago and said, Peter, I love coming to Destiny Church. I love most of the stuff you say. But you know what riles me? There's something you say that really grills me. And I think it's wrong. And I want to let you know I think it's wrong. You know, when I talk about Mormons, I often refer to them as morons. I want to publicly apologize for that. Because while I utterly disagree with Mormon doctrine, because it's dangerous doctrine, it's heresy, it's not the Bible, they've chopped and changed the Bible, it's wrong. I have to say, I love Mormons. I love them to bits. I just hate what they teach. So I want to ask your forgiveness for calling them morons. And I do stuff for a laugh sometimes. I, I, I'm quite jokey and jovial. And that's, I'm, not, I'm going to keep being that if that's all right. It's all right. But <laughs> offensive is no excuse for that. So I apologize for that. But you've got to make sure whoever you are, whatever your teaching arena is, you've got to make sure that you know that every word you speak carries influence. And that God will hold us accountable for the words we speak. The second thing that James said is that our tongue directs our life. In verses 3 and 4. You see, I can tell where your life is heading by the stuff you say. Fact. What do you say about yourself? What do you spend a lot of time talking about? I tell you, it is a huge indicator on where you're going to end up in life. Massive indicator. You see, some people say, I'm just sick all the time. Some people say, I could never rise to that. Maybe others could do that, but I could never do that. Some people say, you know, she was always better than me at that. I'll never make it. Some people say, well, God wouldn't heal me like he healed them. Some people say, there's no point in me even going for that job. There's so many other people going for it. Some people say, I'll never amount to anything in life. Some people say, I could never forgive that person. You can honestly tell where someone's life's going to end up by what's coming out of their mouth. James gives us two examples. James 3.3, 3, when we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. You have a 3,000 pounds stallion and that huge muscular strong horse is guided and directed with a tiny little bit of metal in its mouth. A little thing changes the whole course. And in the same way, a small word, a statement, a phrase can entirely change the direction of your life. Entirely. James gives us another example in verse 4. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants them to go. So the tongue here, James gives a, a parallel with, your, with a rudder. Like the tongue is like a rudder, the pilot is like your heart, and the winds in life are like the challenges that a ship faces in sea. So the way your heart decides to go is what comes out your mouth and it directs the whole course of your life. If you do not like the way your life is heading, then you need to do something about the stuff you're saying. That's what James is saying. Just like a bit in a horse's mouth directs the whole horse, so your tongue directs your whole life. Just as a rudder directs the entire course of the ship, so your tongue will direct the course of your life. James here is not just talking about some psychological principle. He's talking about a spiritual principle. If you go right back into the, to the beginning of time when God created the world, in 2 Peter 3, 5, it says, God made the heavens by what? By the... Okay, no, it is here. Okay, this is double check. God made the heavens by the God made the heavens by the the word of his command and he brought the earth out of the water and surrounded it with water. God spoke and it was. God said, "Let there be light." And bing, there was light. God said, "Let there be" and there was. God created with what? His And then the Bible says, "We were created in the image of 
We were created in God's image. That means there are certain things in God that are in us. We're not like the animal race. We're not just an evolved animal, a monkey who got lucky, a follically challenged ape. We are created in the image of God, and that is distinct from the animal kingdom. We have a spiritual dimension you don't see in the animal race. We're spiritual beings. But also, our words direct things just as God's word directed things. This is incredible. There is power in your tongue. Let me give you a few examples. Um, Abraham in the Old Testament. In fact, let's start, let's start with Jesus. So God spoke at the beginning of the time he created the world. So God, 2,000 years ago, came into human history. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. So what did Jesus do? Jesus healed the sick. He raised the dead. He changed people's lives. How did he do it? Well, oftentimes with the words. He said to the blind man, be open. He didn't say, Father, I pray you'd open his eyes. He said, be open. His words caused something to happen. He said to the man who was crippled, he says, pick up your mat, stand and walk. He commanded it to be so and the guy just did as he was told. He said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead men raised and came out of his tomb. The words of power. So God incarnate did exactly the same. His disciples who followed on after Jesus did identically. If you go through the book of Acts, and I encourage you to do this study, you go through the book of Acts and see how many times the disciples prayed for the sick. You don't find often. But what you do find is you find the disciples commanding the sick to get well. Right? You find it all the time. You have um, Peter and John went to pray. They met a layman on the way. Help me someone. He asked for arms and held out his eyes. And what Peter did say, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have given you, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He went walking and leaping. And, he, and you know the rest. So, see, you all act like you don't know these things. When I ask, if I asked, does anyone know that, you would, you'd say, don't put your hand up. He'll get you on the stage. So, how many sang along with me? No, okay. okay, so Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man, couldn't walk, and he was asking for arms, and God gave him legs. <laughs> Outstanding. He was, he was saying, have some money, please, mate. And he said, sorry, we're skin." silver and gold we don't have but what we do have we give you what confidence what an awareness of the reality of the Holy Spirit in your life what we've got we're going to give you right that's what it means to be a Christian Christ in you what we've got we're going to give you in the name of Jesus rise and walk and then they didn't give them any option other than be healed because they grabbed him by the hands and he pulled him to his feet and as he pulled him to his feet his feet and ankle bones were made whole, and he walked and he leaped and he praised God. Did he pray a prayer? No, he didn't pray a prayer. He says, what we've got, we give you. In the name of Jesus, walk. Commanded it to be so. The apostle Paul, I think it was an Iconium, I think, later on in the book of Acts, he was standing preaching, and in the middle of his preaching, he saw a person who had faith to be healed, and he said, stand and walk. He didn't pray, he just commanded it to be so. You do your own study yourself and see what I'm saying is true. You see, your words have power. It's not just psychological power that directs your life through your words. It's actually your words trigger things in the spiritual realm. It's so true. Examples. Abraham. In the Old Testament, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, were old and they were barren. Now, for about 20 years, Abraham had had a promise from God that he would have a kid. But they still had no kids. Now, it was impossible when he got the promise in his 70s. But now he was in his 90s, it was even more impossible. You understand what I'm saying? Genesis 17, verse 1, and then verse 5, this is God appears to Abraham. Now, this is a year before the miracle actually took place. So 20 years has been waiting, but something took place that triggered something that one year later the child was born. Genesis 17, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Now, in Hebrew, that's El Shaddai, God Almighty, not just mighty, but Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Verse 5, 
No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. One year later, Isaac was born, and Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had the tribes, and the tribes became Israel, and a nation was birthed just as God promised. Notice, God changed Abraham's way of speaking about two things. God changed Abraham's way of speaking about God, and God changed Abraham's way of speaking about himself. God changed Abraham's way of speaking about God. You see, Abraham was growing up in a world where there were many gods worshipped, many idols, many false religions. But God was setting himself apart and saying, I'm not just God. I am God Almighty, the Creator, the Almighty. So Abraham started referring to him as Almighty, Almighty, Almighty over my life, Almighty over my circumstance, the one with whom all things are possible. Almighty. I want to encourage you to credit God with that in your life. And then notice also, God changed the way Abraham spoke about himself. Abraham to Abraham. His name became father of a multitude. That's what his name meant. So every time he said, so what's your name? My name's father of a multitude, Abraham. That's what he was saying. So every day he was making a declaration. A bit had been put in the horse's mouth. It directed the entire course of events. The rudder had turns and the ship was moving in a different direction. Your words have a profound impact on the outcome that comes. And that's not just some psychological phenomena. It's a spiritual phenomena. It touches the heavenly realms. It touches the, the power of God moving in your situation and circumstance. Another example is David and Goliath. How did David defeat Goliath? 1 Samuel 17, 45 to 47. Listen to this. Then David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me. Wow, listen to the confidence, folks. And I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And God loves you, by the way. And the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel, and all those who gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. Yay, in there. I mean, listen to that. You might think to yourself, cocky little rascal. But it doesn't sound cocky to me, because he's not pointing the praise at himself, he's pointing the praise at God. He's saying, God will deliver you into my hands. God will demonstrate to everyone here that battles aren't won by sheer might alone, but by his power. So listen to the declaration from David's mouth. He says, I'm going to deck you, I'm going to chop your head off, and I'm going to feed you to the birds. Period. That's it. So let's go. And then he fought him. He threw it, I got a stone. Woof. Doof. Thud. And David went over, grabbed Goliath's sword, <laughs> off with the heads. The whole armies cheered. They chased the Philistines and just, and then the birds started eating them. And then that was how it went. That's incredible. But do you know what? David predicted the whole deal. He told him exactly, he's saying, right, listen, I'm going to do this first, then I'm going to do this, then this is going to happen, and then you're going to get eaten by the birds. All right, so that's just telling you how things are going to go. Let's just get on with it. Your tongue directs the way things go in life. You see, this principle works positively and negatively. See, as a church, this church started 11 years ago in a little flat in Haymarket with two or three people. But I have to say, that maybe two or three weeks into it, I did a message on vision. And we painted the picture of what the church could be. And we said, we're dreaming of a church like this. So today, here we are with hundreds of people gathering. And I have to tell you though, that the reality that we're all experiencing now had been a reality in my heart 11 years ago. I just talked about it. I decided I'm gonna let things, I'm I'm gonna shape the way things go here. And the reality we're going to be living in in 20 years from now, God willing, is the reality we talk about when we cast vision for the future. So I have to say, 
your words of power. I'm just giving that illustration from my life. But you can apply it utterly to your family. You can completely apply this to your business. You can totally apply this to your community. There's enough negative talk. Miles Monroe, who will be at next week's conference, said, vision does not have any power until you talk about it. Get out there. You see, let's, the book of Proverbs puts it this way. Proverbs 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Then you might think that's an exaggeration. It's so not. It's so true. Your words can change the course of your life. Terry Law told a story about a young, that when he was a kid, he had a friend. And when the friend was six years old, the friend kept saying, before I'm 40, I'll die. And throughout his teenage years, he kept saying, I'll never live till I'm 40. The story went that a few weeks before his 40th birthday, he compacted a brain tumor and he died. You might think, Peter, you're just freaking me out. Just a superstitious story. Or could it be that death and life are in the power of the tongue? Proverbs 17, 20, he who is perverted in his language falls into evil. He spoke about it and it happens. So James reveals to us that your tongue will direct your life. You want to know what your life looks like? Look at what you're talking about. The next thing James tells us is your tongue can devastate lives. And this is in verses 5 to 8. Before we go to those verses, let me read a quote by Morris Gilbert. The jawbone of an ass was a killer in Samson's time. It still is. (laughs) Notice he said that. I would never say anything like that. James 3, 5 to 8. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among your parts, the parts of your body. It corrupts the whole person and sets the whole course of his life on fire. And it itself is set on fire by hell. All, animal, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea have been tamed and are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man is, can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. In 1983 in Australia, overnight, uh, a fire destroyed 600 miles of land, villages, and livestock. All started with a single match. Your tongue, according to James, like a little spark, can have a big effect. Your words can devastate not only your life, but the lives of those around you. The way we speak is hugely important. You see, it's, it's like a process. According to James, the tongue is set on fire by hell. And the tongue can be like a spark that causes a forest to be set on fire. So the journey is a satanically originated thought becomes a word in your mouth which can cause devastation. Have you ever met a verbal arsonist? There are many out there. Some of you are sitting in this room today. Jesus said this, Matthew 16, 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have your mind in the things of God, but in the things of men. He was Peter. It was just an ordinary day. They were just having chit-chat among the disciples. And then Jesus, Peter makes a statement to Jesus about the crucifixion. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Whoa. I mean, that was a big knock to his ego, major knock to his ego. That would have been hard words to hear. But Jesus recognized that those weren't just innocent words you spoke. Those words had an origin. And I'm not accepting those words in my life. You have to be aware when you speak things, sometimes you've, had a, you've been in a bad place. You've been in turmoil up here. And it, from that place, you said stuff, right? And here's the deal. Two things you can't get back in life. A missed opportunity and a spoken word. It's out now. It's out now. And it's now raging a fire in people's lives. It's raging a fire in the community. It's raging a fire in the church. It's raging a fire in your, in your business, The spark has taken light and it's devastating. 
So you've got to be careful with the words of your mouth. You know, um, Doug Brooks, Doug and Marianne, if you go on our website, a lot of the wee film clips there are, are, were made by Doug and Marianne. <clears throat> they were with us for a number of years and they went back to New Zealand. But Doug, I remember telling me, they're a newly married couple. And I remember Doug telling me that in his second, years of mar- second year of marriage, that he was uh, in the church and a lady came to him in the church and said to him, now his marriage was going pretty rough. It was pretty hard going. His second year of marriage, they were already kind of touch and go whether this marriage was going to work. And in the middle of that situation, a lady in the church, who was a well-respected lady, came over to Doug and said, listen, Doug, my advice to you is you need to get out of that marriage. Marianne's not the girl for you. Get out of the marriage before any kids come along. Just, it's easier to leave now. End their marriage now. And Doug said, you know, had their marriage been strong at that point, he might have ignored those words. But his marriage was already tottering on the edge. And those words went deep. And he said those words nearly ruined the marriage. The spark nearly took light and caused the forest fire. Tim Shaw from Absolute Radio Show one night was doing an interview with Jodie Marsh in a studio. He said to Jodie Marsh, the model, I would leave my wife and kids in a minute if I could go off with you. His wife was listening to the radio station that night. And she instantly went on eBay and sold his Lotus Elise to the first bidder for 50 pence. 50 pence. Some guy got a Lotus Elise for 50p. Serves him right. Your words can start a fire. You ever be, okay, maybe not all of you have. Um, sometimes you sit down with people who are going through marital difficulties and they'll say something along these lines. You know, we were arguing, we were fighting, and then it seemed like all hell broke loose. Guess what? That's exactly what took place. The spark lit, the forest fire spread, and the ruin took place. Marriages, friendships, churches, businesses, communities can be ruined by words. You see, the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me, is rubbish. It's not the case. You see, some of you have, you know, you've broken bones in the years past. Some of you have done some serious damage, right? And you've hurt parts of your body, but they've healed, you know? They've healed. And, but some of you had words spoken and they have never healed. In fact, you were thinking about them earlier on today. And they were spoken to you 20 years ago. It shouldn't be affecting me anymore. I'm an adult. But you still go through them. You might. In fact, you rehearse them over. If you catch yourself for a moment, you think, wait a minute, I'm going through that scenario again. Why? Because words are incredibly dangerous. Words can devastate These words don't heal easy. Now, God can help you overcome them, and he will. But those words, you have to understand, your words to others and the words that others have spoken to you can have a devastating impact in your life. It says in James 3, 7 to 8, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You see, we've tamed Flipper, Lassie, Shamu, Free Willy, and King Julian. But no man can tame the tongue. According to the Bible, it's a restless evil. The, the Greek word for restless is akates ketos, which means, <laughs> which means cannot be restrained. Cannot be restrained. It's like you're in the safari park going along and says, do not get out of your car. These animals are wild. They will eat you. Right? Cannot be restrained. They're just crazy. That's what your tongue can be like according to the Bible. And then it also says it's full of deadly poison. The word deadly poison is ios in the Greek language, which means venom from a snake. Your tongue can be venomous. It can put poison into other people's lives. Where's the Chinese whisper got to? Who had the Chinese whisper last? Has it managed to make it then to the front of you? You've not been doing it. You've not been... Where did it get... Who, who knows, hands up if you got the Chinese whisper. Well, well done, you folks on my right. But what took place here? Stuff y'all. Right, I'm just going to talk to you guys. Okay. Can, Beth, do you want to grab one of those microphones? Run to the pat. Or, yeah... Could you, could you run to the back? 
Yeah, Beth, if you could... Thanks, Beth. <laughs> Beth's coming with the microphone now. <laughs> and it, Can you tell us what was said? Now, there's a microphone on. That would help as well. They're all passing the buck. Ed, did you hear it? Ed, Ed, Ed will do it. He's, Ed's a, you can't remember it. Okay. It's on the desk. With a loud voice, Ed. Oh, hello. Hey, hi. Um, I can't remember it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know, I was, I was going to go. It was, went that way. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'll let them deal with it. You folks, I put a lot of time into the sermons. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I took me a while to think of this idea. I thought, what could I do? It'd be really cool and clever. I can't even remember it. And then you folks didn't even do it. Anyone else want to? No. I, I know you guys can remember. You've probably got the exact same phrase as I told. Anybody who remembers it? Come on. No, I don't. I don't. Give it can anyone at the back remember? Listen, it's already a long enough sermon. I think it said normal is the life of all things. Say wanted. that again. Normal is the life of all things. Say it slowly. Normal is... Norma. Well, I heard normal. Normal. I heard normal is the life of all things. Well, that's interesting. And that's where I forget. Thank you very much. No problem. <clears throat> okay, Beth. Beth, can you remember, Aaron, what I told you? No, Aaron, can't you remember? I'm a drummer. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you what I told Aaron. I said no one gossips about another person's secret virtues. So somewhere down the line, it was Ivor. Ivor, it was you, man. You ruined it, man. You ruined it. What's normal going to do with it? Right. What happens is you start, the, the spark sparks in a congregation. And that spark can spread like wildfire. And before you know it, you're whispering about people and your story's got blown way out of proportion. It's called gossiping. Gossiping is utterly uncourageous and horrendous in the sight of God. And the Bible is crystal clear in this. The Bible is crystal clear that gossiping is ungodly. It says, John Wesley said this, of all gossiping, religious gossiping is the worst. It adds hypocrisy to uncharitableness and effectively does the work of the devil in the name of the Lord. Proverbs 20:19 says this, and this is my advice and this is the Bible's advice on how to deal with people who are gossips, okay? So if you're a gossip in the church here today, welcome. Uh, however, this is how you will be treated by this church and by people in this church from now on, just to warn you. Proverbs twenty nineteen. therefore he who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a gossip, okay? So if you're a gossip, you've just lost all your friends, see ya. Uh, we do not accept gossiping in this church because it's so uncourageous. You've got a problem with someone, talk to them, whoever they are. That's courageous living. The first person we had to ever put out of this church was because of this. The person came from another church and was bickering and bitching and talking about how bad all the other leaders in the city were. Not, it wasn't even about gossiping with people in the church. It was gossiping about other people from other churches and other leaders from other churches. And personally, I honor the other leaders from the other churches. Personally, I love them. And sure, we ain't doing it all right, but I don't get it all right either. So I told the person, your gossiping is not acceptable. If that's going to be your attitude, you're not welcome in this church. Because they tell you, if he gossips to me, he'll gossip about me. Spark. Poison. Can set a fire. And the last thing that James tells us about our tongue is this, that our tongue reflects our nature. Our tongue reflects our nature. Verses 9 to 12. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or can a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. One moment, 
You're using your words for the highest purposes. Praise and adoration towards God. And the next moment, you're putting people down who have been made in God's image. And according to James, it's not acceptable. That's inconsistent. That can't be. See, last week we talked about false faiths. We talked about how people have the faith of the mouth. They talk the talk. Or faith of the mind. They know stuff about God. Or faith of the emotions. But we said that none of those are true faiths. They might be an aspect of true faith. But if that's all they've got, it's, not, it's false faith. True faith is faith of the heart. Faith that results in action. But I also want to say today that James is also saying that true faith results in proper speech. You see, faith resides in here, but it will manifest itself in action and in words. So when James is asking, is, is, this, is this possible? He's actually bringing into question the validity of your faith. You say you praise God, but you curse men made in his image. Do you really praise God? Do you really know him? You see, how do you deal with your words? The way you deal with your words is by dealing with the source of your words. That's your heart. James says, can fresh water come from a salt spring? (laughs) Snipers, where are you? (laughs) Can fresh water come from a salt spring? You know, the issue isn't what's coming out here. The issue is where the source is, the spring. He says, can a grapevine produce figs or olives? can't remember what he said, but something like that. In other words, the issue isn't the fruit. The issue is the source of the fruit. What's the nature of the tree in the first place? So if you're going to deal with the words, you've got to deal with the heart. In Hebrew thinking, in the Hebrew world that Jesus lived in and that James grew up in, in that Hebrew world, they often associated parts of the body with sins. So for example... They would say, feet swift to shed blood, right? It's not like the feet were to blame, okay? You, you killed someone. Sorry, it was my feet. My, my feet were swift to shed blood, right? Nothing to do with this or this, right? It was my feet. Just cut my feet off and I'll be fine, all right? No, you're a murderer. The, it, while the Hebrew way of doing it is talks about the feet was swift to, swift to shed blood, it's actually talking about a heart issue. Or, for example, it will say, eyes full of adultery. You know, you committed adultery. No, it was my eyes. No, no, it was your heart. So when it's talking about the words, it's talking about the source of those words, which is your heart. You see, if someone says something incredibly hurtful and spiteful, and they say, having done that, they say, I don't know what came over me. That's so unlike me to say stuff like that. That's totally out of character. James would say to you, actually, it's exactly what your character is. It's exactly in line with who you are. Jesus put it this way, Matthew 12, 34 to 37. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus explained a Freudian slip even before Freud existed. He said, out of your heart, your mouth speaks. See, you know, if someone says, you said that two years ago, you know the best way, I, I, I can't remember everything I say, but you know the best way I can figure out if I said that or not? I have to ask myself, was that the way I was in my heart at that time? And if it was, I could say I most likely did say that. Or I could say, do you know what? I cannot assure you that would not have been my heart at that time. Now whether I said it or not, I'm not sure. But for me, the gauge of what comes out, you see, if you're paranoid about being around people saying, I'm going to say the wrong thing here, right? Well, check your heart. If your heart is in the right place between God and man, you'll probably say the right thing in that moment. That's the biggie. It will remove paranoia from your conversations. J.C. Ryle said this, 
Our words are the evidence of the state of our hearts, as surely as the taste of water is the evidence of the state of the spring. John Lilly says, the tongue is the ambassador of the heart. And Solomon in Proverbs said, Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. You see, the issue isn't a tongue problem, it's a heart problem. That's the issue. If you're a person with a harsh tongue, then you have an angry heart. If you're a person with a negative tongue, then you have a fearful heart. If you're a person with an overreactive tongue, you have an unsettled heart. If you're a person with a boasting tongue, you have an insecure heart. If you're a person with a filthy tongue, you have an impure heart. If you're a person with a critical tongue, you're a bitter person. The Apostle Paul teaches that your tongue, James teaches that your tongue reflects your nature, but Paul also teaches that your tongue reflects your nature. In the famous passage in Romans 3, 10 to 14, Paul says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've all become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips and their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Notice that Paul relates our sinful nature with the way we speak. The Bible says, the man on the street would say, oh, people are fundamentally good. The Bible says, human beings are fundamentally wicked. That gives us a huge problem. Human beings are fundamentally wicked. The Bible gives us so many examples of the wickedness of our heart being expressed in our mouth. The Bible talks about a wicked tongue, a deceitful tongue, a lying tongue, a perverse tongue, a filthy tongue, a corrupt tongue, a bitter tongue, an angry tongue, a crafty tongue, a flattering tongue, a slanderous tongue, a gossiping tongue, a backbiting tongue, a blaspheming tongue, a foolish tongue, a boasting tongue, a murmuring tongue, a complaining tongue, a cursing tongue. A contentious tongue, a sensual tongue, a vile tongue, a tail-bearing tongue, a whispering tongue, and an exaggerating tongue. Now, that's just in Owen Lima's home group alone. (laughs) Now, did you see yourself in that list? No wonder God put our tongue in a cage with teeth around it. You have to understand, your tongue is, is an expression of your heart. And as human beings, we are sinful. Without God, we're lost and going to hell. That's the truth. And I hate that truth. But it's the truth that Jesus died on the cross because of. Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross if the human beings had been all right. If we were good enough without God, he wouldn't have had to go to the cross. We're filthy, we're corrupt, we're far from God, we're sinners. We are deprived apart from Jesus. But Jesus hung and died on the cross, the sinless on behalf of us, the sinner. He took our pain, he took our shame, he took our hell so we could have his heaven his righteousness, his absolute forgiveness, and his eternal life. Because he died and rose again, and my faith is in him alone, not on my goodness, but on Jesus the Savior. And he has to be your Savior. There's no other Savior other than him. He's the Savior. In Genesis 3.12, the first sin that happened after the fall was the sin of the mouth. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me the fruit and, and from the tree, and I ate it. Adam slandered God and the woman. He said, the woman that you put here, she gave me it. The first sin following the fall was the sin of the mouth. Isaiah, when he met God in his vision, he says in Isaiah 6, 5, woe to me. He cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king the Lord Almighty. The truth is, when you become aware of God, you become aware of your mouth because your mouth is one of the highest indicators of where your heart is at. So what's the solution? The solution, three of them. Number one, the solution is get a new heart. That's the solution. The solution to your tongue problem is get a new heart. You see, you could paint the outside of the pump nice and prettily, but if the spring is full of poison, It doesn't matter how pretty the pump looks. You need to deal with the heart. How do you get a new heart? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, say in Christ. Say in Christ. 
Folks, I'm giving you the solution here. Say, in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, the thing is, before you became a Christian, you were ugly. Now you become a Christian, you're still ugly. So what changed? I'll tell you what changed. It was your heart that changed. You got a new heart, and that's in the unseen realm of your life. Now, sure, that change will start to permeate through your entire life. Your continence will change. Your, the way you speak will change. The way you think will change. But the big change took place when you were in Christ. So how did you get in Christ? Well, you need to come to Christ. And I told you earlier that he, he died on that cross and rose again. And you need to come to have faith in him. Your, your faith, your true faith, not religious faith, not head faith, not emotional faith, not talk about it faith, but authentic heart, life-changing faith. When your faith is in Jesus, then you, my friend, are saved forever. That's good news. And that's what Jesus came to do. The Bible gives us the biggest declaration we can make. You see, when I got married, I made some big statements. I made statements about my faithfulness. I made statements about my commitment before God to this precious wife, Angie, that God had given me, has given me. Those words were big words, but the bigger words I spoke when I became a believer. It says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The big words. And those are not just words that are just kind of throwaway statements. Jesus is Lord. It's Jesus is Lord. It's a heart that speaks those words that says Jesus is Lord. And according to the Bible, that makes you saved. If you've never done that, then you're not saved. You might have been religious, but you're not saved. Today, why don't you yield your entire life and future to the one who gave you life in the first place? To God. The second solution is this. Be filled with his Holy Spirit. James 3, 7 to 8 says, All kinds of animals, birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no one can tame the tongue. The Bible's clear. No human being can tame the tongue. But I believe God can. While you feel incapable, God is able. Notice that typically when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized with the Holy Spirit as described in the Bible, Typically, one of the first things that happens is commonly they speak in tongues. It's interesting. Notice when someone gets saved, one of the first things that happens is they declare Jesus is Lord. And when the whole, not, it's not just about being filled with the Holy Spirit and then you speak in tongues. It's also about being filled with the Holy Spirit and you get the fruits of the Spirit as well. You get self-control. You start, the words you start speaking you're more in control of them, not by your own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. It says in James 3, 2, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man and able to keep his whole body in check. Remember the Bible says the tongue directs your whole body? Well, if you can keep your tongue in check, you'll keep your body in line with life and you'll be a perfect man. The word perfect there is not talking about moral perfection. It's not talking about you've, you've reached some moral standard that's absolute perfection, morally squeaky clean in the sight of God. That's impossible. What the word mo- uh, perfect means there is in the Greek word teleos, which means complete, mature, or full-grown. So when the Bible says you'll be a perfect man, it's talking about maturity. It's talking about completeness. So as the Holy Spirit works in your life and you gain this great fruit of self-control, you move towards maturity. And maturity means instead of blurting out everything, you're, you're in control a bit more. And as a result, your whole body comes in line. Your health, your provision in life, your strength, your focus, everything changes. And thirdly and finally, we must pay close attention. The solution to the, to the heart problem is you need to pay close attention to his words. C.T. Studd said, whatever moves the heart wags the tongue. Whatever moves the heart wags the tongue. If you can get your heart moved with the words of God, 
with the truth of God, then you will start talking differently. You know, Carolyn Leaf, who's at the ladies' conference we had last year, she said that in the subconscious level, we speak 1,250 words per minute to ourselves. And in the conscious level, the words that we're aware of, phrases in our head and so on, we speak 250 words a minute. So your subconscious level, according to Dr. Carolyn Leaf, who's a, is a psychiatrist and brain expert, at that level you speak 1,250 words a minute in your subconscious level. Phrases and statements about yourself and things that condition the way you act and respond in different situations. In the conscious level, the ones you're aware of, whether you speak them out or not, they're going on in here. 250 words a minute. So what are the words that are going around your head? Is it the words of, I'll never make it? Is it the words of, they'll do it, but I won't? Or is it the words of God? You were created in the image of God. He's given us a a manual for successful life. Do it his way. It's called the Bible. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Let the Bible grip your heart. When the truth of the Bible grips your heart, you'll be starting to say different things about yourself, about situations, about others. The Bible is a phenomenal book. Don't take my word from it. Dig into it yourself. Be under its authority. Allow it to guide you. Allow it to impact the way you conduct your life. Let it change the way you speak about yourself. You cannot afford to have a thought in your head that God does not have that thought towards you. You can't afford to say stuff that God doesn't say stuff about life. So when you're facing the challenge, well, what does God say about that challenge? Okay, I'm going to say that. When you're facing the hurdle, well, what does God say about that hurdle? Well, I'm going to say that instead of what I would naturally say. Well, when I'm facing the sickness, well, what does God say about the sickness? Well, start lining your words up with your Creator's words over your life. And according to the Bible, the word is like a bit in the mouth of a horse. It will direct your whole body. It's like a rudder in the ship that will direct the whole ship. One of, the, one of the things I love doing is the book of Psalms. Or Psalms. <clears throat> Psalms is phenomenal. It's just incredible. You see a guy that you see every emotion possible to man. You see this guy on a roller coaster. A typical Psalm is like this. They hate me. They're going to kill me. Oh, they're coming at me now. Listen to all the words they're saying. God, smite them. Get them. Oh, Jesus. But, oh God, I'm so depressed. It's terrible. But hey, you're there. It's going to turn out okay. In fact, God is with me. God is going to win. Psalm 1. Psalm 2. They hate me. They're going to get me. They're trying to stop me. But God's there. Oh, God's, God's, we're going to win. Psalm 3. This is the book of Psalms. It is phenomenal. I love it. He says stuff like this. I would have despaired unless I had believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. How about that for a good confession in a hard time? There's tons of it. There's tons of it. Immerse yourself in the words of God and let them start to impact the way you speak. And as a result, your life will change. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Your tongue has great power. So use it for the glory of God and the benefit of others. In a minute, we're going to pray. Then we're going to take a little time to sing a song and worship. And a couple of people are getting baptized at the end. And then we'll close the service. But let me just say this. In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to God. Maybe some of you here are not saved. Or you're not sure you're saved. What I mean is, you may have gone to church. But in your heart, you don't know God. Well, this is your moment. I'm not talking about becoming a member of Destiny Church of Edinburgh. You'd be welcome to, but I'm not talking about that. I'm not saying become religious. Please don't. I'm talking about putting your faith in the Savior, who truly is your only hope. And in a minute, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Let it be your prayer of dedication to him. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to thank you so much for the book of James, 
God, thanks for the wisdom and the insight that's in that book. Wisdom about how we speak, about the, the devastating impact our words can make, but also the hugely positive impact the words can make. And I pray, God, that as a church, we will learn to speak well. We will learn to act well. We will not just be believers who are in theory believers, but our believing would result in our actions changing and the way we speak would change. I pray for those in this room who are influencers, who are business leaders, who are in their homes, our parents, <coughs> who are even leaders from other churches, or for the home group leaders who are around this congregation, for those in teaching roles, wherever they be. I pray, God, give them incredible wisdom to use their words for the benefit of others and not to the destruction of others. But I pray ultimately, Holy Spirit, you change our hearts. And as our hearts are changed by you, then our words will automatically change. Father God, I pray for every person here. You know everyone. You know those who have been devastated by the words of others. And in their minds, every day, those phrases in the conscious level, they know they're saying those phrases that were said to them. And they're hurtful and they're painful. The man who walked out, the dad who should have been there and said stuff, the sibling who accused you of something falsely, the put down from the teacher. We're rerunning those things, but God, on our subconscious level, we're, even when we're not aware of it, those words are rattling through our souls and are crippling our lives. God, I pray that my friends here would get new words, new phrases, words from God echoing around their souls that would bring freedom, that would bring blessing, that would bring change. Okay, I'm going to give you an opportunity just now while everyone's praying. If you're here today and you're far from God, then come to him today. He loves you more than you will ever know. He loved you so much, he demonstrated his love by coming and dealing with your ultimate problem. Your ultimate problem is you're a sinner and you're far from God. And Jesus came and died on the cross as the sinless saviour on behalf of a sinful world. The Bible promises if you put your faith in Jesus who died and rose again, you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. And that's a promise from God. So that's you today. And you want to make your commitment to God, I invite you to repeat this prayer after me just now. Quietly under your breath, just repeat this. Pray, dear Lord God, Thank you for your incredible love for me. Thank you, you love me so much. You sent Jesus. Jesus, thank you. you. You died on the cross and rose again so that I could be forgiven and have a new start. I ask you right now to cleanse me. I confess that I am a sinner. And I need your forgiveness. Thank you. Jesus, I believe that three days later you rose from the dead. And I totally believe you're alive right now. Right now I make you the Lord of my life. I confess that you are my Lord. And to the best of my ability, I will follow you from now on. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for forgiving my sin. And thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Okay, keep your eyes closed. If anyone's just prayed that prayer, you've done a great thing. And I know that God has heard your prayer. I would love the privilege of praying for you and asking God to bless you as you embark in this new life with him. So that's you, and you prayed that prayer. While everyone else is praying, can you just simply identify yourself very briefly by raising your hand and putting it down again? Anyone like that? I'll just wait for a moment. So anyone like that? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? prayed that prayer, you committed your life to the Lord. Before I pray, 
So anyone else who prayed that prayer, and I will pray for you as well. Anyone else like that? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? God, I want to thank you for my four friends today, God, who in their way have said to you, yes, they've accepted you, Lord Jesus, and you've accepted them. Jesus, thank you. It was exactly for them that you died on that cross. You died and you rose again. You were willing to go through all that so that they could be forgiven and they could have eternal life. And today, God, thank you. They've said yes to you. They've put their faith in you. And I pray, God, by your spirit, you'd fill them now. Transform their lives from the inside out. In Jesus' name. Help them to plug into a good church where they can grow in their faith. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand to your feet, folks. We're going to worship God.